Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey audience, this is James Kandasamy. Welcome to Achieve Wealth True Value at Real Estate Investing Podcasts. Today, I have Anna Kelly from Central Pennsylvania, who owns uh, around 175 units, around um, $16 million in uh, worth until now. And you know, she has invested passively in 900 units, and she's also under contract on around 200 units right now. Hey, Anna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Good to see you, James. Good to see you too. And uh, I mean, for those who do not know, we also have a YouTube channel that uh, shows all our interviews. And you know, you can catch up with us on iTunes or Stitcher or YouTube or Spotify, right? So go and do that. I'm actually in one of my property here in San Antonio. So trying to do it from my office. And Anna, are you in your office or where are you right now? I'm in my home. I'm not okay. actually in my office. <laughs> yeah, good, good, good. We work from home, I guess, right? So, yes. <laughs> so Anna, why not you tell our audience about yourself? Sure. So I started out in real estate about 20 years ago, just kind of dabbling in real estate. And I started out um, doing some property flips and some single family rentals. And then I slowly started moving up to small multi-unit properties, like four unit apartment buildings, 10 unit apartment buildings. And um, I recently, last May, retired from my full-time career. I worked for AIG for 20 years, and I really built my real estate um, portfolio up on the side part-time for all of those years. So busy mom, have four children, and I just went full-time, and now I'm focused on and, and have been focusing on for a while much larger apartment building uh, assets. Got it, got it. So let's go back to the beginning, right? Um, I mean, you work at uh, AIG, which is a big insurance firm. And can you just quickly tell us what was your role? Sure. So at AIG, I, I had various different roles. I did internal management consulting, uh, product development, and then I moved into a role that was very uh, compliance heavy. We worked with private placement hedge funds wrapped in an insurance product. So we worked on SEC audits and filings, reviews of PPMs and hedge funds and things of that nature. Got it. So it looks like you had some PPM level syndication experience even at your workplace, I guess. Is that right? Definitely. We worked with um, alternative investments for about 17 of the 20 years that I worked there. So you worked there for 20 years. And when did you start your real estate uh, venture? Well, I'd say, you know, I dabbled, I bought some, you know, singles and I bought a flip. And then 12 years ago, when I moved from Texas to central Pennsylvania to start my husband's chiropractic business, we were looking for properties to lease for his office space. And we found that it was very difficult to do that, but they had a lot of buildings that came with tenants, you know, older buildings on main street that had been converted to businesses on the first floor. Most of them had residential rental space on the top floors. And so we bought a building and inherited tenants. We had three tenants with his commercial space. And then okay. um, that kind of threw me into the idea of, of having tenants and, and having a little extra cash to cover the mortgage. And then at that same time, James, we sold a house in Houston that we lived in 
liquidated everything we had to come here and start a business. And so I knew it wasn't very wise for me to buy another home right away. And AIG let me work from home on a very temporary trial basis to see how it worked out. So I bought a four-unit apartment building for us to live in. So we downsized significantly and house hacked basically to make sure that our, our business expenses, you know, for the for the space and our housing expenses were covered if I happened to lose my job, you know, 12 years ago when we started out. So that got me into starting to think about and invest in in residential real estate. Got it. Got it. So you basically, you did not like had an aha moment, I need to go tomorrow and buy real estate. You were actually thrown into it. Well, you know, I'll say this. Before I went to work for AIG, I was in private banking. I was a financial relationship manager mm-hmm. for Bank of America. And so I handled um, the, the top 10% of the wealth in our bank, both small businesses and individuals. And what I found is that many of them owned real estate and had, had accumulated their wealth in real estate or were already investing in real estate. So in my young 20s, I was very interested in real estate, thought that it was something lucrative that one day I'd like to own. But I really didn't start thinking too much about it until I had my first child in 2003. And all the flip houses shows, you know, were coming on. And I thought, oh, I can flip a couple houses and be home with my child. And so I dabbled in, in flipping before the, the rental real estate. But, but my move here is what kind of gave me the impetus to think about rentals more quickly. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, I never had a, a woman guest until now. So you, you are the first one and I'm very Oh, happy. thank you. We have a lot of listeners that's listening everywhere and I'm sure a lot of them are women. So I'm trying to get from a woman perspective, right, on how could they start like what you have started, right? I mean, your husband is working and you are working too. I would say, what do you think could be the secret formula? Or that's just the formula on how can any woman start while they are in your own position? Sure. You know, there's different ways to start. And a lot of it, James, truly does depend on the personality of the person, Mm -hmm. your family dynamic, you know, how much support you have for watching your children, what other income sources you have, you know, when you're starting out and how much basically time and money that you have available to get started. So, you know, people that have very, very limited time might have significant cash flow or they might, their spouse might make enough money that they could really get started more passively. And that's where maybe they want to start investing in other apartment syndications or getting invested as, as a passive partner, maybe joint venturing with someone that has experience you know, buying and managing either a single or a small multi or a larger, and then just investing with money and and learning how to review the financials and review the operations each month and each quarter, just to kind of get yourself familiar with what it's like to to own and and manage an asset might be a good way to get started. Um, For someone like me that doesn't have any cash and really wants to get invested by investing time, you, you have a lot more opportunity to really educate yourself through reading books and through podcasts and going to meetup groups to learn what it takes to ask actively evaluate deals, find them and, and hire people to, to update them and improve the values and put a renter in, or you can start learning the skills yourself. You know, my husband and I, when we started out, he did a lot of the maintenance and I painted every unit and I called flooring contractors and, you know, designed kitchens and helped hang cabinets. I mean, we did everything actively because we started out, we had liquidated all of our you know, assets and started out with, with quite a bit of debt to start a business and we're running that. So we really didn't have a lot of money. So we invested the time. So 
there's many ways to get started, but I'd say definitely align yourself with other people that already know what they're doing. Attend some meetup groups, listen to podcasts, and then just decide whether you want to be active or passive for your first one or two until you kind of learn what you like, what your personality works well with, and kind of what works within your family dynamic. Got it. Got it. So who convinced who between you and your husband? Did he, did he convince you to, hey, let's go and do spend time and rehab this uh, real estate? Or did you convince him? Or how did you? I, I'm trying to understand how did the discussion happen? Because a lot of people are struggling. I mean, could be struggling. right? How do I convince my spouse, especially from a woman to the husband's side? Usually the husband can convince the the wife, right? But you, but you are the one who's active right now in real estate. How, how did that work out? Yes. So, you know, it's one of those things when we talk about the personality of the individual, when you're married, there's two people involved in, in your decisions. And mm-hmm. my husband and I, from the beginning, have always looked at our, our finances and our lives as a partnership, but we kind of have our roles in reverse. I mean, he's a doctor, he's a chiropractor. He went to school for a long time. He's very smart, but he's very um, hands-on and people person. He doesn't like the finances. He's not financially minded. Mm-hmm. He's not the kind that wants to be an entrepreneur and grow a big business. Like he's content just having a small, small practice mm-hmm. um, and, and letting me handle all of the finances. So because I had a, a background in finance and understanding investments, I pretty much have always handled our investments. And when we um, decided for him to start the business, I kind of took over the operations and learned how to, you know, run a chiropractic business and set up insurance and all that kind of stuff while he was the doctor and saw the patients. And so when it came to real estate, I said, listen, we're starting out with a lot of debt after paying off all of the school debt. It's just not financially wise for us to do anything other than buy something. So we have tenants helping to pay, pay the rent. So it was easy initially to convince him to buy his practice and our building um, just to be financially wise and not going into to more debt. Um, but growing that beyond that was definitely me as the driver. You know, he was busy with his practice. He did not like to do maintenance, but he learned to, to do it and, and liked that the, the fact that once we did rehab units, they were worth a lot more and we had a lot more cash and could keep buying them. But I've, I've been told multiple times, slow down, pull off the brakes. We have enough units. Why do you want to keep growing? And I'm like, cause I'm passionate about it and I'm passionate about the wealth that it can create. So mm-hmm. I've been kind of the driver and he's been very supportive um, and very hands-on for the 70 units that we self-manage in our area. Um, but definitely it likes that I'm now buying much larger assets where I'm asset managing and he's not involved day to day in the management <laughs> and maintenance of the properties. He must be very happy now. <laughs> yeah we started with 45 units and my wife used to be sitting there whenever we we, we, we were missing our property manager in the beginning you know, she was sitting there doing things and i didn't do maintenance so just to be truthful to you but but i used to be with her and trying to buy this and buy that and make sure you know the contractors are lined up and all it's a lot of work but it, it involves uh, teamwork and and it's just, yeah, we are two different people too. We have to learn how to work with each other. For sure. <laughs> That's good. And um, so you started with the 70 unit or the, with the chiropractic, you know, uh, real estate, right? I mean, is it a, like a commercial uh, center? It is. It's a commercial mixed use building. So there's okay, a commercial it. space that his business leases from my business. Mm-hmm. Then it had three tenants, three, re- you know, residential renters and four garages to that property. Got it, got it. So you get some kind of tax benefit, I guess, because 
the process is leasing from the the owner itself i guess right so yes get some right off there good so after that and then what was the next acquisition that you did so james as many people were infected affected by the 2008 2009 economic crash. Mm-hmm. Imagine working for AIG at the time and AIG, oh, yeah. you know, coming in and having one of the largest insurance liabilities of any other provider in the country between mortgage insurance and credit default swaps. Mm-hmm. And I worked for them. So I had already, I had been working for them for a year on a work from home basis. Mm-hmm. And we thought we were going to be laid off. My stock went from 101 a, uh, 101 a share to 43 cents a share. Wow. My retirement funds were almost just destroyed. They were, they were destroyed. I lost mm-hmm. about two thirds within a week. Mm-hmm. And I decided, oh man, I'm going to lose my job. My, hundred, my husband has a brand new business with hundreds of thousands of dollars in startup debt. And I'm the sole income. So what are we going to do? And the only thing I could think to do right away was to borrow from my 401k about $50,000 that I had left that I could borrow and buy another four unit because I thought at least mm-hmm. if I buy another four unit, I'll have another, you know, 12 to $1,500 a month of cash coming in. And that's an asset that's solid and stable that I won't lose anymore in the stock market, you know, no matter what happens. So that was my next acquisition. Again, it wasn't really thinking about, Oh, this is a phenomenal investment. It was, what can we do to survive? And I know that cash flow is a good thing. And that, that, that residential real estate will not go down in value significantly compared to the stock market. Got it. So after that four unit, what did you buy the next one? Another four unit. Okay. And when did you start with the 70 units where you self-manage? Okay. So what we did, we, we self-managed again, initially just out of necessity, not having a lot of extra cash, mm-hmm. um, thinking our, our finances were not super stable because I was the sole breadwinner at that point. My husband's income was nice, you know, in six figures gross, but it was covering expenses. And so we just were continuing to find ways that we could cash flow and make the most cash and, and be willing to put in the time to do it ourselves and learn at, at the time. And so we kept buying um, a couple of single family homes that we bought as foreclosures, renovated them. And instead of selling them as a flip, we did a cash out refi. We kept them as rentals. We took the proceeds to buy another and another. And then we did the same thing with small four unit apartment buildings. So four unit apartment buildings were kind of my niche and sweet spot for several years, James, because there were in a, a, a smaller area. I'd say maybe a tertiary market right outside of Hershey. And there's not a lot of apartment complex supply, no big complexes, but there's a lot of demand for housing. And so most of the rental real estate here were four unit apartment buildings that had been built that way or converted, you know, a couple decades ago. And there weren't a lot of um, big buyers buying those four unit buildings. So they'd sit for a while. So I kind of saw a niche where I could buy properties without having a lot of competition and I could basically treat them like a larger commercial asset, but on a, you know, on a four unit scale instead of a five or six unit scale. And so I kind of honed my skill in, in updating those units, managing those units, raising the values, cashing out, repeating, and then decided, okay, now it's time. Once I built up, you know, a, a strong six figure passive, you know, net rental real estate portfolio, then I decided now I can retire and I can scale and start going after much larger assets. And so that's what I did. Okay, got it, got it. So when was the first time that you acquired the much larger than four units uh, property? Which year was that? 
Okay. So in 2018, I had, I had, I had basically created a five-year plan, James, in 2013, that by 2018, I wanted a $5 million portfolio, you know, about $150,000 at least in passive income. And then I would retire and start going for a bigger one. So I met my goal in four years in 2017, and then just started kind of working my way into, you know, saving six months of um, salary and expenses for all my buildings and starting to look for larger deals. So I found the first larger deal for me. It was a 73 unit apartment building right outside of Hershey, Pennsylvania that I found off market. And I JV'd on that with two other um, owners. That was a six and a half million dollar purchase, 73 unit. And we closed on that in 2018. Got it. Got it. So how did you manage your time? I mean, your husband is working and you were doing this fourplex, 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 and you have four kids. (laughs) Can you give some tips for people who are in a similar situation on how can they manage and be as successful as you are? You know, I think really the key to my success has just been resilience and grit and determination. I've worked truly, most people say, oh, rental real estate's passive. But I like to say, and I totally believe, James, that passive income is built on the blood, sweat, and tears of active income. And it takes years of active sometimes to build up the financial wherewithal that you can truly become totally passive. So Uh between my husband's business and my work, and my rental real estate, I truly worked 70 to 80 hours a week over the last 10 years in order to be able to get to where I am. My four children are all involved in sports, um, pretty competitive sports. So we have sports every morning. We have sports after school every day. And most days, it's seven days a week, you know, multiple tournaments on a Saturday and on a Sunday. So I, you know, every waking moment when the kids went to school before I started work, I did real estate. My lunch breaks, I did real estate. My vacation days, five out of six weeks a year, I did real estate. Mm. You know, evenings between when the kids got home and, and I worked, it was real estate. And after nine, when the kids were in bed, I, I often stayed up till midnight to get things done. So it was very time consuming, um, but I'm very, very grateful mm-hmm. that I stuck with it and did it. Um, and it was just a matter of, of utilizing every day. I didn't watch TV. We didn't have cable. I didn't, you know, go do a lot of um, recreational things. I really, you know, not nose to the grindstone, just focused on, you know, building the portfolio so that I could retire and, and spend more time with my kids. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really hard work. I can really appreciate what you have gone through because, you know, I was working and my wife was like running around in the beginning, right? I mean, I only stopped working after we had like 340 units. Now we have like 1,300. Wow. But it's a lot of work, right? Uh, mm-hmm. So based on what you're saying, it can be done. It's just like, not. please don't give excuses, right? Exactly. I'm here to tell you, you know, if I can do it working full time, running my husband's business, four kids and doing it, you know, anybody can do it if you just have grit and determination. So you make the time for what's important to you. And I knew that, you know, it was important to me to be able to work myself out of my job. And especially with AIG, you know, a couple of years ago, they said, we really are going to sell our unit and we need to all be prepared to figure something Mm -hmm. else out in terms of career. So that kind of drove me to have execute my plan in a certain period of time. Um, And and now, you know, that I'm retired, I'm still very, very busy, but I have the freedom to control my time, you know, to do what I enjoy and, and go after larger deals where I'm not having to be quite so involved in the day to day. Yeah. Can you define what is grit and determination in your mind? Sure. So, so grit is the ability to 
stick with something no matter what comes, no matter what obstacles without basically, you know, melting into a wallflower and, and just keeping on going. And, you know, there's been a lot of studies done on, on what makes people successful. And, you know, some kids were tracked from high school through college, through their professional lives. And they were really surprised that the top students like the valedictorian, the salutatorian rarely ended up actually being the most successful people in uh, their professional lives. It was usually the people that went through a lot of hardships and just kept going and pushed through and got creative and figured a way through and around every obstacle and became stronger and more confident and, and, and determined. And those are the people that ended up the most successful. So I just, I think it's um, an extra drive and extra determination and a willingness to keep pushing through no matter what and, and to not give up on your goals. Yeah, I mean, I always tell my listeners and whoever talk to me that it's always, you know, whether you want to be successful or whether you like to be successful or whether you're required to be successful. So, I mean, if you have been this successful, you must have that. I really, really need, I really require to be successful. I mean, is that a true statement that you came through that way? I think so. You know, I, I, I grew up with very, um, very humble means. And I always knew that, um, you know, I wanted to create a, a different type of lifestyle and a different, um, you know, financial future for my kids. And I was just determined to do it. So I've always been driven. I've always taken on challenges. You know, my my first job at Bank of America, I won the, first, the, the number one ranked financial relationship manager in Texas and mm. employee of the year awards at multiple jobs, you know, my first couple of years, because I've always had that. I'm going to be the best. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to achieve and, and do whatever it takes attitude. So I think part of that was ingrained in me from a young age. Yeah, I think it's, it's important. I mean, just the personality itself and the drive to be successful and the requirement, right? I mean, because your husband and your AIG was going mm. downhill and you must be successful. Otherwise, you know, yes. your, your, your family, you know, you know, it may not be in a good place, right? In terms, right. Of, uh, in terms of financial, right? So that's, that's really good. So describe to me what was your toughest day in a one day when you have like four kids and all going to, through all these uh, classes and schools and all that. Have you had any time where you think that, oh my God, this is just too much for me as a mom and as a real estate sponsor? And can you describe that feeling and experience? Yes. <laughs> I just actually, you know, Facebook is kind of a mixed bag of whether you like it or whether you don't. But I like the Facebook memories that kind of pop up and remind you of something. And I had something pop up this last week about um, a three day in the life of a real estate investor that works full time and has four kids. And I, I looked back and thought, well, I don't know how I survived it. But back in February of 2018, I believe it was, um, I had a call that there was mold in the basement and that they were smelling mold. So they opened it up and there was a lot. Well, you know, I'm thinking, ah, it's probably like a, a dripping water heater or something. And we walked in. And there was literally like six inches of goopy mold hanging from every rafter of every space in the basement of a three unit apartment building with a ground floor, um, a dirt floor. And when we opened it up, I mean, it, it was just really bad. And what had happened was a hot water heater pressure relief valve had failed in the basement. Nobody seemed to notice. Nobody called us. Um, the, the person in hindsight said, you know, I thought my hot water pressure was kind of low and not as hot and I should have called you. Well, within about a six week period, six to eight weeks, somewhere in there, 
our entire three unit apartment building was, was just uh, covered in mold and inside all the units. I had to meet the tenants. It was snowing and really bad weather. And I had to call, you know, restoration companies and rehome all my tenants and get all of this stuff out of the property. Um, right after that, we had another property, um, where a roof blew off and another big storm and, um, you know, we're handling the kids and multiple other small things were going wrong. We had a couple frozen pipes cause it was a winter that the ground was just frozen for so many days. So we're dealing with frozen pipes, rehoming tenants, working full time, you know, insurance, the tenants all wanted to sue me because there was mold and their kids were sick and going to the hospital. And, you know, my kids were just, you know, young and very needy. And I just, it was like a two or three week period where I thought I'm done. I can't do this anymore. It's not worth it. It's too hard. And I kind of had a little pity party for a few weeks and said, okay, I need to take a break. I'm not buying anything else. And I took about a three month break where I didn't buy anything else. And I just kind of took care of those issues. And then, um, you know, said, I need some breather time. We went to the beach and um, after I got back from the beach, I'm like, okay, I- I'm refreshed. It's behind us. Now that I've handled that period, I can do anything and just kept going. It's, it's crazy, right? The amount of you know, pressure and tense moment that you have during that kind of things with family and issues with the deal, right? So yes. I want to ask one last question before we go into the details of some of the deals that you have done here, right? So sure. why do you do what you do? I mean, you don't have to do this right now, right? Why you keep on doing it? <laughs> So a couple things, James, I'm really passionate about real estate. I'm really passionate about wealth building and there is nothing like real estate to, to build wealth. You know, I started out teaching clients about mutual funds and stocks and bonds and how they can make, you know, eight to 10% returns on their money. If, if you time everything right. Um, and, and realize that it takes money to be invested in the stock market. It's volatile and it's risky. And really people can go from nothing to multimillionaire in a couple years of investing in real estate if they do it the right way. And so I've just seen the real power in, in that. You know, we went from literally negative $750,000 net worth when we started my husband's business to a several million dollar net worth in just a few years of really aggressively buying rental real estate. And so it changes lives. And I, mm-hmm. I want people to know, especially women that, that you can change your financial family tra- tra- trajectory, not just for today, but for future generations. And also we're providing really good housing to people. So, you know, I grew up in, in government housing. My mom was a single mom. She was a property manager for a government housing apartment complex. Uh-huh. And I know what it's like to grow up in apartments and we didn't have the best amenities. You know, all my friends were wealthy and I lived in a little apartment complex and I've worked with inner city kids who live literally in shacks with dirt floors in the middle of Houston, Texas. And to be able to empower people and say, your life can be different. And I can show you the financial tools to take better steps and to know better so that you can create generational wealth for yourself. And, and, it just empowers me and it drives me to keep doing it, not just for my own wealth accumulation, but to help other people to learn that they can do the same. Yeah, that's, uh, that's very interesting. I mean, what you said is anybody can do this, right? Uh, and, and I know a lot of people who are listening to you, there will be some people who think, yeah, I can do it too. Then there's another group of people, oh, you know, they're going to give reasons. Oh, Anna has this, Anna has that. That's why she's <laughs> successful, right? So if you are the one who's giving reasons, you know, you, you want to stop that because 
indefinitely you can make money in real estate, especially millions of dollars. If you really work hard and if you really, really want it, a lot of them just do not want to do the work, right? They really, right. Or they, do, they really do not want the success. They just want to continue with their life and, you know, just go and do mm-hmm. whatever they've been doing and let the life takes wherever it takes them, right? So, yeah, and I think part of that, James, you know, for so many years, you've, you see these TV shows, reality TV, and people convince you that it's easy money, that you can do oh, it, yeah. that you can be successful. There's coaching programs and gurus that, you know, charge you five, ten, twenty thousand dollars $20,000 to sign up and learn how to do real estate. And they promise you that if you follow these three steps, you're going to be, you know, independently wealthy in a year or two. And I think when the reality hits people and they start investing and they start to see how hard it actually can be on a day-to-day basis mm-hmm. until you build up that experience and that wealth, mm-hmm. they just give up and they feel like failures because they've yeah. been sold an unrealistic expectation of mm-hmm. get rich quick in real estate when it's really the long game. You know, you're it's playing the long game. It takes sometimes longer than, than it should. You know, some people get lucky or find the right network and connections and very quickly can build wealth. But for most people, it's slow and methodical growth. And, and it's just people need to realize that it's, it's not easy, but it's not that complicated if they just stick with it. Yeah. And there are people who did one real estate and, you know, failed badly and they gave up on real estate. So that's yes. another people that, you know, the, you know, yeah, one time fail doesn't mean anything. We could, we would have failed many times, I guess. Right. So sure. <laughs> I, I, I lost money on my first flip and I was convinced I'd never do another one. And yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I changed my mind quickly and, you know, I've done a few, but, but real rental real estate is really where, where the wealth yeah, building yeah. comes. Yeah. I've done like in my single family uh, days, I did like 11 rentals, but I was also doing two flips and I regret doing flips because I made like 40,000 on one flip and I buy a loss in a thousand dollars on another flip and that thousand dollars feel very painful yes <laughs> <laughs> because you shouldn't be losing money in real estate but it really taught me a lot of things on how I didn't do it right in terms of the flip right but right you know, just because somebody did one and they failed doesn't mean the whole real estate is, is a scam, right? You Absolutely. Can definitely make millions of dollars in real estate, especially if you're living in the U.S. Yes. Right. Yes. It's, a, it's a country where it allows anybody to grow. Um, there is no limit. Uh, it's just you, right? Absolutely. No, there's no reasons, right? So if you're Absolutely. giving it's just you, right? So that's the only thing. Um, so let's go to these, uh, some of the deals that you have been done. And you, so you are buying fourplex, 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 and you started JV on the 70 units and you self-manage and you go into this syndication. Why are you going to syndication now? So, you know, I think some of it comes back to the time and the money, you know, that, that spectrum of, do I have more time or do I have more money? When I got started, I didn't have money and I, I could have said I didn't have time, but I made time. So mm-hmm. it was heavy, heavy time investment. Mm-hmm. As I built wealth and as I built more cash flow, it just made more sense for me to be able to large, you know, go scale larger with other partners and to be able to be an asset manager operator rather than the property manager or the maintenance person. So I've gotten to a point in my, in my life where I, even though I've retired from my, my job, I really want my evenings to be free with my children and just to be wife and mom in the evenings and, and just spend a certain number of hours a day doing real estate. And so I, I got to a place where I had to say, you know, how can I really scale? If I'm still self-managing, you know, many, many more units, it's going to take me a lot longer of full-time effort, um, even though I don't have a you know job. And I wasn't really willing to sacrifice any more years with my children working, you know, more than 40 hours a week. And so Mm. I 
wanted to control my time and, and continue to scale. So I figured I needed to start working with other people, um, utilizing other people's time and other people's money. And the larger multifamily allow you to do that because you can afford full-time property management, full-time maintenance staff, and really become more of an asset manager and, and business plan executor than you are a, an individual who's self-managing your own properties. Yeah, the business plan executor, that's the operator definition, I would say. Yes. So <laughs> how do you define you know, operator slash you know, active asset manager in your mind? Sure. So an operator is basically the person responsible for operating that as asset soup to nuts and executing your business plan. So it's generally your ge general partners and there will be either all the general partners will be involved in the asset management or overseeing the business plan and making sure that um, your, your plan for that particular property is being executed the right way. So for example, if we're buying a, a, a value add property, like the 73 unit that we did and the others that I go after, it's a property that is usually poorly managed. Um, its expenses are not being managed well. The rents are below market and perhaps the units need to be updated in order to maximize the um, rents so that you can then increase the value of that property. So as an asset manager and operator, I'm working with our property management company or our property manager and with our contractors to make sure that, you know, when units come available, we turn those units quickly, we update them on time and on budget, we raise the rents, we get the new tenants in there um, so that we can, you know, execute our plan to raise the, the values before we sell or refi. And we work with the property managers to make sure that they're cutting the expenses in the way that we planned, that they're monitoring the, the expenses, monitoring the rents, you know, making sure rents are being collected, and you're just basically overseeing soup to nuts, um, all of the, the things that are supposed to happen to make your asset more valuable. Got it, got it. Do you think there's a certain advantage of being a local asset manager? I would say yes in that mm -hmm. when really bad, unforeseen, unexpected things happen like mm -hmm. mold damage or like when, you know, wind blowing roofs off or mm -hmm. um, a hurricane, you can be at that asset very, very quickly. And you can also stop in and visit with your property manager, your property management company, you know, on a monthly basis, bi-monthly basis, and just say, hey, let's walk the ground, show me what you're doing. And there's just never... Um, anything as valuable as actually being on the ground and seeing it. Okay. However, in today's world where we have technology, we have Zoom, we have um, our phones where we can take pictures and we can walk grounds, it's pretty easy to do things virtually as well. So while the, the operator in me that's always had you know, my boots on the ground and always been able to see kind of likes the control of being able to be at a property within an hour, Mm -hmm. It's not necessary if you trust your team and have a really good team that's boots on the ground and can just, you know, go to your asset maybe once or twice a year. So I haven't really done it from afar. I'm asset managing my first property that we have under contract right now, two properties in Atlanta. And so I'll be sharing asset management responsibilities there. And that'll give me a little better feel for you know, how much easier or harder it is to do from afar. Got it. Got it. Got it. So let's come back to value add. So all the deals that you're buying, I presume, is, is value add, right? I mean, you're adding something yes. to the operation, either the income or the expense, right? So Correct. what do you think is the most valuable value add in your mind? So I really like class 
A to B areas in an older building because your area you can't change. A lot of syndicators go after class C area, workforce housing, and older buildings. And so you're struggling not only to bring the asset up to today's standards, but also with a tenant pool who may suffer more heavily if we head into a recession, or they may be more susceptible to losing jobs and not being able to pay rent. Where when you're in a nicer area where there's really good school districts and people want to live, there's a lot of good employers and a lot of good shopping and things around, you're always going to have people that want to move into that area because it offers the best lifestyle for those people. And so if you can find an older asset, you know, you're not struggling with the area to keep your units filled. It's just a matter of now offering an asset that people want to live in while they're in that area. So I'm really a value add investor, not doing like full major repositions, taking units in a C-class area that's 40% vacant and trying to fill them up. I like stable assets in a stable area that just needs some updating and, and operational efficiencies in order to bring them up to today's standards. Good. That's very interesting. I never heard that uh, from anyone else because you know, the strategy is for you to look for the good area, but look for older buildings and try to improve from that older buildings, I guess. Yes. Okay. Interesting. But have you, what about the like interior rehabs and do you do any like uh, rehabs on the inside? And do you think is there any specific rehab that you think is more valuable than others? Sure. You know, it's really market driven, James, as I know that, you know, but for your listeners, you know, every market demands something different. So where some parts of the country in order to get, you know, $1,100 a month rent might demand granite countertops and they might want really nice luxury vinyl plank flooring. Other areas like tile, and they don't like granite. They like maybe stone countertops. And other areas to get that much, you know, you might be competing with a, a $3,000 a month luxury apartment that would have granite and vinyl plank, and maybe 1000 would get you carpet and a, a nice faux laminate. So you've really got to look at what does your particular market demand and not just assume that every rehab has to be a cookie cutter that looks the same. So what I do is I look at what is the, the competing um, market? What, what are the complexes offering to get that top rent that they're getting today? And I kind of secret shop those complexes or go on their website and see what those, those units look like. So for the 73 unit, for example, our property was a 1985 vintage when we bought it in 2018. So it was a little bit older. It had a lot of original oak cabinets, um, plain commercial grade carpet, old looking vinyl. And basically we went in and we just changed out the flooring to vinyl plank flooring in the main living areas with carpet in the bedrooms. And the reason we did carpet in the bedrooms is because it's really cold in the Northeast. And so a lot of people don't like solid flooring in their bedrooms. So we kind of save a little bit of money on doing carpet in the bedrooms and, and vinyl plank elsewhere. And we replaced some countertops and updated old cream colored appliances uh -huh. to stainless steel or very nice white, depending on the unit. And, that, and then we painted the um, apartments a soft grayish color, kind of more on the gray side. But the flooring has kind of had some grays and browns that go well with everything. And really for just a couple thousand dollars uh, in new flooring and paint and some countertops and appliances, we were able to raise the rents $200 a unit. So it was a significant increase in rents because when we bought the property, not only were the units kind of dated, 
but the owners had not raised rents on several other tenants for several years. And so the property right next door to ours was, you know, off asking 175 to 225 more a unit with the exact same floor plans as we had. Um, so it was, it was a great property because we didn't have to do a whole lot in order to bump those rents and achieve that big increase in value. Got it. So I want to go a bit more detail on how did you choose your rehab plan, right? Because you said you did countertops, you did stainless steel, and uh, you did a few other things. But for example, how did you choose? Why did you want to install a stainless steel appliances? Can you give some education on how did you go through that process? Say, I want to do stainless steel rather than black appliances. Well, and, and, and again, this is, we've kind of left apply, we, we've kind of played with it a little bit because we had so much room to bump the rents uh -huh. and we looked at what, what is Nextdoor offering? They're the biggest competitor. So Net, Nextdoor had certain units where they offered a premium package with stainless steel appliances, but the standard package didn't, it had white appliances. So we said for the first couple that come, come available, let's do the vinyl plank, let's paint them. And if there's cream color, for example, one unit had a cream color stove and a white refrigerator and a cream colored you know, stove vent. We said, let's keep the brand new white refrigerator and let's just put in a white dishwasher, a white stove and see if we can get the rent that we want without going stainless. So we did that on a few and we had a huge waiting list of people that wanted those apartments. They couldn't care less about the... Um, stainless steel. And so we didn't do it. So, you know, initially we thought we were going to go all stainless, but people, we've been achieving the rent bumps we want without having to do stainless. And so we haven't done it at this point. Got it. Got it. Yeah. That's how you, I think that's, that's a good strategy to look at the base on where you do not want to overspend versus how much rent bump you need. Right. Because yeah. you can always use, thing, mm -hmm. sorry, go, go ahead. ahead. No, I mean, sometimes you can use that extra money for something else. Exactly. And the other thing, you know, because I've focused primarily in my general area. I know the market like the back of my hand. So the buildings that we bought, the 73 unit and the subsequent 31 unit that we just bought too, they're basically my direct competition. So I know what tenants are looking for. I'm already offering it in my town. And basically within a 30 mile radius, we know, you know, this is what the market demands. This is how much rent we can get for it. And so while people think, oh, I need to do all these fancy bells and whistles, you really just need to look at what your competition is doing and over, you know, improve it to the level that you're going to get the top rent, but don't over improve it to the point that you're spending needless CapEx um, that aren't going to get you that much of an incremental rent bump. Got it, got it, got it. That sounds uh, really awesome, man. Let's go back to slightly more personal side. Is there a proud moment in your real estate career that you're really, really proud of? One moment. One moment, I think on my 73 unit, sitting down with my JV partner and, and his partner that he had partnered with stuff and really being able to um, convince him that this was an amazing asset to invest in. And, you know, he, he agreed to fund my first large syndication deal. So I was just really proud that I was able to, you know, build up the financial knowledge and build up the confidence and the track record from what I had done on a smaller scale. Um, that investors would trust me to, um, you know, take their investment and really manage an asset well for them. Uh, that's where you broke out from the four, more than uh, 70 units, right? Which is, which is a big yes. achievement, I guess, right? Yes. So, and, uh, and I think that in the day that I retired, when I was <laughs> able to retire um, from a job where I worked with 
accredited investors to be able to say, you know what, I'm retiring, I've replaced my income, I've more than doubled it, I'm now an accredited investor, and I don't ever have to work for someone else again, I think is probably one of the, the best moments of my life. Yeah, that's, that's really important. Can you name like three or five uh, advice that you want to give for newbies who want to walk uh, along your path? Sure. I'd say educate yourself as much as you can, you know, listen to these great podcasts and just learn from people that have already done it because you learn the things not to do and you learn the, the good habits to do to kind of make yourself an excellent investor. So really commit to your education, uh, podcasts, read some books and, and attend some local um, investor meetup groups so that you can align yourself with other investors. So one is education, one is networking and alignment, and you'll get some continual growth and continual education just from learning from people that are in your network that are already doing what you want to do. Um, I would say also start really looking at yourself and what your goals really are. So like you said early in the podcast, many people think they want to be a real estate investor, but when they discover how hard it is to do so, um, they, they kind of back off and maybe flounder for a while. And all of us can do that if we really don't know why we're doing something. So look at yourself, ask yourself what you really want in life and why you think real estate can get you there. And then back into how much time and money am I willing to commit to my real estate investing venture? And if you don't have a lot of time, you've got to commit yourself to finding money or finding other people's money or working with other people. And if you have a lot of time and not money, um, or I, I think vice versa, then you need to, to really be willing to put in that time. And so look at your, look at your why, look at your time and your money and, and start figuring out how best to utilize every moment of time that you have, every moment of cash you have and other people's time and money so that you can start to scale as quickly as possible. Awesome. Awesome. So Anna, why not you tell our listeners how to get hold of you? Sure. So I'm on Facebook as Anna REI Mom Kelly, and I have a Facebook a group called Creating Real Estate Wealth That Lasts with Anna REI Mom, where we talk about real estate and really creating wealth and kind of the good, bad, and the ugly of all the different asset classes. And you can email me at info at reimom.com. Well, Anna, thanks for coming into the show and providing tons of value. And you give a lot of uh, very good perspective from how you, you know, juggle your role between being a mom and being a wife and, you know, trying to grow the business. And I think uh, our listeners would absolutely get tons of value out of this. And, and I, as I said, there's no reason not to be successful in uh, anything that you do. And real estate is just a tool. You can be successful in anything, but you can be successful if you really put your heart into it, right? If you really, really want it, you will be successful. I mean, if you give reasons, there are tons of, tons of reasons you can give not to do something. Absolutely. Something. Thank you so much for having me, James. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Anna. Bye. Bye. That's it for this episode. If you'd like to learn even more, check out James's free audiobook. It's the audio version of his best-selling book on passive investing. You can get the audiobook completely free along with other valuable resources by visiting www.achieveinvestmentgroup.com forward slash free audiobook. Also, be sure to join our Facebook group too. To find it, just do a Facebook search for Multifamily Investors Group. Thanks for listening. Join us again for another episode next week. See you then.